Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Father, we thank you once again. We come to receive instructions from your word. And we're asking Holy Spirit of God for insight, wisdom, revelation that will cause us, Jesus Christ, to align with your purpose, your will, as we walk the earth in this new body of ours that you've granted unto us by raising Jesus Christ of your causing us to sit with you in heavenly places. Thank you for calling us your son. Thank you for giving us the privilege to receive that name that is more than any other name. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we just want to start off and continue from where we stopped last week and where we are. We're dealing with the 144,000, Revelation 14, number one. And last week we started off uh, dealing with the issue of uh, the thousand language of God. Uh, what does it mean in terms of what are 44,000? So we're trying to find out. Is it a literal number? Is it something you count? One, two, three, up to 144,000 and so on and so forth. And we said that last week that this is figurative language. It's not... Uh, a literal number, and it represents the entire body of the saints of God. We try to use some scriptures along that line, which is uh, Psalm 68, 17 to 14, I mean to 18. For instance, uh, Psalm 68, 17 to 18. We we'll read, and the Bible says, God's chariots, the chariots of God, at 20,000, even thousands of angels, the Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. Remember that. 20,000, even thousands of angels, the Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. And now we're trying to find out what, is, what do we mean 20,000 and thousands as compared to what was in Sinai. And again, we looked at uh, Deuteronomy 32, I mean 33, verse number 2. If you can look at verse number 1, Deuteronomy 33, verse number 1 to verse number 2. And uh, there we see, the Bible says, and this is the blessing wherewith uh, Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And verse 2 says, And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Messiah unto them, he shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints from his right and went a fiery love for them. He came with ten thousands of saints. Who were these saints? The children of Israel. And uh, I don't know, we're talking about millions of people that came out of Egypt, but the Bible said they are ten thousands of saints. Hallelujah. And so when we look at Jude 14, we'll be able to see a good comparison of uh, what happened. Jude Verse 14. Hallelujah. And just 14, the Bible says, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. You see that? The same thing. So, the ten thousand of saints in the um, 
Deuteronomy 33 represent the Old Testament saying that came out of Egypt. Is that okay? And who was the leader? That was Moses. And then when you come to Jude here, the Bible is talking about people coming with 10,000 of his angels, I mean of saints as well. And who is the leader here in the New Testament? Jesus Christ. So we're just saying that's very simple. When you talk about 10,000 of saints, you're talking of the whole body of Christ put together. As many as believe into Christ. Amen. So, by that we're saying this is not arithmetic number as it were. Because uh, we know that those who came from Egypt, they were the saints of God being referred to out of slavery, out of the bondage of uh, Pharaoh. And so, again, uh, we say that in the book of, uh, that's in Psalm 68, where we said uh, the Bible talks about uh, he that ascended, you see, also that descended. Verse 18, Psalm 68, verse 18. Uh, so he said, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gift for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. What is that supposed to mean? We're saying here that this gift that the God gave is taken from Ephesians. Four. I mean, that is what Paul now starts speaking about in Ephesians chapter 4. Looking at it from verse 8. Ephesians 4 verse number 8. Wherefore he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gift unto men. You see that? He gave gift unto men. So, verse number 9. Now that he ascended, but what is it but that he also descended first into the lower part of the earth? And then the next thing say, he that descended... Is the same also that ascended all far above all heavens that they might fill all things. Amen. And what's the next in verse 11? And he gave some. So these are the gifts he gave to men. What are the things he gave to men? The gift had to do with the fivefold gift, the fivefold ministry gift. He gave them to men. And the Bible says he gave them even to the rebellious. So the gift he gave in Psalm 68 has to do with people. Amen. And remember, he gave gift unto men that he might dwell among them. Meaning, the work of the five of ministry is to bring men into the presence of God. Or to call God to dwell among his people. That is what it means. Hallelujah. So, any ministry that seems not to be bringing God to the people, bringing them into alignment, into union, into communion with God... It's not truly fulfilling the purpose of the five for ministry as given in Ephesians 4. Because the ultimate goal why God gave this gift is that he might dwell among his people. Hallelujah. Are we here? Alright. So we can agree that 20,000, even thousands of angels speaks of the saints of the New Testament but not literal number. It just simply constitutes the fullness of the saints in the New Testament. That's what 20,000 of saints stands for. So again, I said it's not a literal number. So if we're talking about he standing with 144,000, have nothing to do with literal number. Amen? So the number speaks of that which is infinite. For the word of chariot used here in Hebrew actually means recurve, which means a vehicle by implication, the team, by extension, cavalry. By analogy, a rider. A multitude, a great number, numerousness, a crowd, an assembly. This is what it means when we talk about chariots in Psalm 68, verse 17. 
What is chariots? I'll repeat that again. The Greek word, I mean the Hebrew word is rekeb, R-E-K-E-B. And it means a vehicle. By implication, a team. By extension, cavalry. By analogy, a rider. It means multitude, a great number. Numerousness, a crowd, an assemblage. That's what the word chariot means. And so, when you look at chariots, the chariots of God are 20,000. So, what are you going to put in your mind in natural sense? You're looking at horses riding. Hallelujah. But it's not talking about just horses, it's talking about people. And it's talking about multitude of people, largeness of people, crowd of people. So, when he said the chariot of God are 10,000 of thousands, that they the community, the crowd of people that God is riding in through. There are thousands and thousands of numbers. Is it making sense? Praise God. The, the person is carrying God. Because now people have become the vehicle of God's expression. So wherever you find the saints on the earth, they are supposed to be expressing God. So what the psalm is saying here is, God is now moving through people all over the world. And there are thousands and thousands of such people all over the world. Large number, multitude, crowd, assemblage of God's people. It is a church. That's what I mean by chariots. The chariots of God are a people. It's you and I who can be able to carry God wherever we find ourselves and express God. We truly becoming the express image and the glory of God. On the face of the earth. The chariots of God. A thousand and thousands of angels. Hallelujah. Are we here? And this is very interesting for me. The first time I really discovered this passage. To see how that it linked up. With Ephesians 4. It's so powerful for you to understand it. We are the chariots of God. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, I'm beginning to see when the Bible said the chariots came and took away Elijah. <laughs> Is that making sense to you? A crowd of people, he simply joined into the cloud of witnesses. Hallelujah. <laughs> Are you seeing that? He simply moved and joined up with the cloud of witnesses. That's all. Join up with the saints of God. The chariots of God. A thousand and thousand of angels. And the Lord is in the midst of them. As in Sinai. Praise God. Very interesting. Alright. So we're talking about a great multitude of saints that are with the Lord. When you talk about 144,000. The Lord's ascension in the above passage that we said before speaks of the enthronement as a king. And so you find that in the book of Psalm 24 and then 7 to 8. I mean 7 to 10. If you like, let's just read that. Psalm 24, 7 to 10. Lift up your head, O your gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall do what? Shall come in. And he said, Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord might in battle. And he said, Lift up your head, O your gates. Even the lifted up everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Verse 10 says, Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. A lot of hosts, a lot of angels, a lot of multitude of people. Hallelujah. Are we here? 
All right. Whew. So, among those that surround the throne of God, you can also find that in uh, for instance, let's look at Psalm 68 again, like we read before, 17 to 18. No need to go back there. You talk about the chariot of God. Amen? All right. So, 20,000, even thousands of angels, this is what Daniel wrote about that constituted the God of heaven. Let's look at that from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse number 10. Daniel 7, verse number 10. Hallelujah. If you are extreme, remember Deuteronomy 33, verse number 2. If you are extreme, issued and came forth from before him, thousands and thousands, many sat unto him, and ten thousand, ten thousand stood before him, the judgment was set, and the books were opened. Amen. Hallelujah. Where are they standing? Before the throne. One forty-four thousand still with him. Where is it supposed to be? Before the throne. So we're talking about the saints standing before the throne of God. Hallelujah. Look at First King twenty-two, verse number nineteen. Praise God. First King twenty-two, verse number nineteen. And he said, "Hear thou, therefore, the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand, and what?" On his left hand. So we are always standing where? Before the throne and with him. I wonder at 44,000. Hallelujah. Amen. So this 144,000 simply are called the hosts. Hosts of heaven. We are in a cultural setting section to judge the wicked Ahab. Like you find here. This was the judgment of Ahab. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Are we here? Yeah. This was the judgment of Ahab. The throne was set in the heavens and with him. The host of heaven. The host of heaven speaks of the thousand of saints that are standing with him at that moment. So what do you think this host of heaven stands for? They are simply the saints of God. Even the word of God called them as judges. This one they are going to judge. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 6 and then we'll look at 2 and 3. The host of heaven, who are they? Remember in 1 Kings 22 verse 19, they were to judge Ahab. And the judgment was set. And who are those that are going to be before the throne? The Bible calls them the hosts of heaven, which are called angels. Okay? Now look at this. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the saints shall judge by, if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Verse 3. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Hallelujah. I find this very interesting. The saints shall judge the world. Not angels. Even angels shall be judged by the saints. Did you see that there? So the host of heaven is not speaking of angels. Speaking of sons of God. Speaking of redeemed creatures. Those are before the throne. Hallelujah. Because even angels are subject to the judgment of the sons of God. You can just look at John chapter 5 and verse 22. Let's look at something there. Hallelujah. Praise God. For the Father judgeth no man, but I've committed all judgment unto what? The Son. Colossians 1.18 will tell you, is the head of the body. So who is the Son in this context? He's talking about the church. I told you before. 
Hallelujah. God judged sin in Christ. Christ judged the devil. John 12. Remember that. And who is to judge the world? The saints. Got this right. Anytime, any moment. Have that understanding. You are only going to be disciplined. You've passed from death unto life. You've been judged in Christ. Now it is you to judge the world. Not God. Don't expect God to come judge the world. People don't understand when we talk about judging the world or the judgment of God. They don't understand what it means. God judged sin in Christ. Christ came judge the devil, if you will. Say, now shall the prince of this world be world cast out. Remember that. Now is the judgment of this world without to do with the prince of this world. So he judged the prince of the world, especially on the cross, if you will. So what's the next thing that follows that? The saints have been judged by God in Christ. Are you there with me? The devil have been judged by Christ through the cross. Who is going to judge the world? The saints. God is not coming down to judge the world. That's wrong theology. I can tell you for free. It takes a chain to judge the world, not even angels. One of the reasons why angels can't judge the world is because angel does not understand what redemption means. Angel do not have what it takes to taste the nature of the suffering, the pains of man. Jesus was able to do that because he became a man. He was hungry, he could sleep, he could feel the pains. Like you feel it. He tasted what you're passing through so that he can be able to judge you. You have the same identity. So he knows what you're suffering. He knows what you're going through. So therefore he's qualified to be a judge. Angel does not have that capability. And now we're becoming sons of God by united with him. And in so doing, we're now the third face of the judgment without to do with judging the world. And so whose responsibilities are going to be? Hallelujah. The saints of the most high God. Amen. Are you with me? And that is why Obadiah 21 says, Saviors shall arise out of man's Zion to judge the mount of Esau. Put it on the board. And saviors, not savior, saviors shall come up of Mount Zion to judge the mount of Esau. And the kingdom shall be what? Shall be the Lord's. Hallelujah. Amen. So, those people Daniel wrote about were the saints of God. The 10,000 and thousands of saints meant to judge the world. Amen. Praise the Lord. Paul used the same language of thousands to describe figuratively. The manner of prayers. Let me just show you. First Corinthians 4, verse, uh, that should be 14, I'm sure. Verse 15, let me see. Sorry. First Corinthians 4, look at verse 15. 4, 15. 
For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have yet not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through what? The gospel. 10,000 of what? Instructors. How many people instruct people at the same time? So, if this thing is literal, where do you find the Corinthian church having 10,000 of instructors teaching them? Now, Paul is really saying, the people that are coming to talk to you, there are so many. Is that okay? Are you here with me? So Paul did not mean a literal 10,000 men coming to preach and teach the Corinthian church. No. Amen? Because the church was established, basically, on the true foundation of Christ. And Paul told them all of those things. They were so mature, spiritually, in quote, anyway. Full of the gift of the Spirit. You know? Okay, look at um, 1 Corinthians 14 now, verse 19. I'm just still looking at the language of uh, the thousand language of God, the way it is used. Okay, take it from verse 18. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Verse 19. Yet in the church I rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. What is that? Are you supposing that when Paul is speaking in an unknown tongue, he begins to count until he gets to 10,000 words? No. Did you get that? Paul is simply saying, I will not want to engage in speaking so much, multitude of words that you may not understand. Let me speak the language that you can understand so that there will be amen at the end of my, my conclusion. When I conclude whatever I'm saying, you can say amen. So, but if I speak in tongues, even when I conclude what I'm saying, you can't say amen because you have no understanding of what I'm saying. Do you understand this? Hallelujah. So Paul was not counting the words that he was speaking here. No. Hallelujah. It's like what you see in Colossians 3 verse 16. Colossians 3 verse 16. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with grace in your heart unto, unto the Lord. Simple instruction. Like, as compared to using 10,000 words to speak in church. Speak in such manner that people can understand you. Amen? Why? Because we know that unknown tongue, verse number 2, verse number 4, 1 Corinthians 14, the Bible says it doesn't benefit those who don't understand you. So let's look at that again. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh unto men. Speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him. How beyond the spirit he speaketh mysteries. And he said, But he that prophesied speaketh unto men. To edification and exhortation and comfort. Verse number four. And he said, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edify himself. But he that prophesied edify the church. That is why he said, It's better you speak in the language that the church can understand. Because if you're speaking in an unknown tongue, you are edifying yourself. You are not edifying the church. Amen? 
That's why I always say it. If you listen in prayers, lead us by way of, I mean, simple understanding of what you want us to pray about. You, you don't come lead prayers and then you're speaking in tongues. We don't know where you are going. We don't know what you're asking us to do. You know, we can always tell people, start speaking in tongues. Okay, when you tell them to speak in tongues, it doesn't matter. You are trying to say, defy yourself. So, how are you leading us? But you see, if two or three shall agree, you're searching anything. If that is the case, and where two or three are gathered together, then tell us what to pray for, so that we can agree on what you want us to pray for. So, if I'm asking you to pray in tongues, I'm only saying, okay, we pray together for a while, now edify yourself. Because I will know what you're praying about. I will understand what you're praying about. Hallelujah. But if you want two of us to agree, then you should tell me what you want us to pray about. So if I come here to lead prayers and I have to tell you, this is what I want us to pray about. Fine, beautiful. We can agree on that. Pray along that line as compared to when I come here and say, come on, everybody is speaking in unknown tongue. What have I done? Nothing. Are you with me? I've done nothing because you start speaking in unknown tongue, you define yourself. I don't know what you're asking God for. You're on your own. <laughs> I'm on my own. But we're supposed to have a corporate prayer service. And if we are going to pray corporately, we should be able to have one thing in common that we're asking God for. Amen? In Acts chapter 12, we made to understand where Peter was taken to prison, James had been killed. What happened? The saints came together in the night vigil and what was happening, they were asking for the release of Peter. It was a common prayer. There was something that brought them together to pray that night. What was that? Let Peter be released. They didn't come there and say, start speaking in tongues. For what? No. Praying for Peter to be released. How do I know it was that? Because when Rhoda finally went to the gate and said, Peter is knocking, people never believed him. What was that? It's like a shock that instantly they prayed and their prayer had been answered. So it was difficult for them to understand that of a truth, the prayer had just been answered. That means they were praying for something specific. And what was that? Let Peter be released. Let Peter not be killed like James had been killed. Are you following me? Yeah. So, this is what it means. Amen? All right. So again, um, let's look at Revelation 5, verse number 11. Revelation 5, verse number 11. And I behold, and I hear the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Glory. What is the meaning of that? Where do you find these people? Around the throne. Who are supposed to be around the throne? The saints. So, what is this place talking about? Multitude of people. That are around about the throne. They are simply those who make up the church of Christ. Universally, both celestially and terrestrially. Who have attained to the place of resurrection. By way of the Lord. By reading of the redemption of the blood. These are the people. Ten thousand and thousands. Hallelujah. And I'm saying this number includes you and I. Plus the departed saints. Of Hebrews chapter 12 verse number 1. Hallelujah. We are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. Amen. Hallelujah. 
So what are we doing here? We are declaring the glory that is you him because of his sacrifice on our behalf. We're just saying God thank you and everyone have gone to redemption is saying thank you for what you've done. Hallelujah. So we can see that ten thousands as a number is only symbolic of what? That which is numerous and not just on literal figures. Amen? Hallelujah. Are we here together? All right. Okay. I'll show you again along this line. Um, that when we talk about uh, 10,000, we're talking of God's spiritual Israel. Nothing to do with literal thing. Again, I'm going to show you a scripture on that. Okay. Um, wow. Let me see. If you look at Revelation 7, you're going to find a similar picture, just like you see now. Um, in Revelation 14. But in Revelation 7, you're going to see the number that are sealed on your forehead. Praise the Lord. Revelation 7, 1 to 3, for instance. Let me show you. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four wings of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel, according to I mean, I send it from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, the whom it was given to hold the earth and the sea. Amen. Saying, hot not the earth, neither the sea, nor the tree, till we have sealed the servants of our God, where? In their forehead. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. So we find out the seal here, provide assurance to God's people, are secured from plagues and judgment. It's like what you find in Egypt when the angel of death was released. But the Bible made us understand wherever you see the blood, I'll pass over. Is that okay? Hallelujah. The angels can recognize those who occupy the place by reason of the blood. And what is actually the blood? The life of God. So when we talk about the angel, I'll talk about the blood of Jesus. We're talking about the life of God. Leviticus 17, 11, 17 tells us the life of the flesh is in the blood. Hallelujah. So yes, and our children, our God's people are secured from plagues and, and judgment that was going to come. The seal identified those under God's protection. You find that in the book of Ezekiel chapter 9. Verse 4 to 6, if you will. Ezekiel 9, verse 4 to 6. The same thing, he just took this from Ezekiel 9, 4 to 6. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, to the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the forehead of every man that sigh and that cry for all the abomination that be done in the midst thereof. And he said unto the others, he said, Mine hearing, go ye after him, through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. And he says, Slay utterly old and young, both males and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is a mark. And begin at my sanctuary. Was the sanctuary in my church? Then began at the ancient men which were before the house. 
Hallelujah. So, here is the matter of ownership. This 10,000 we find in the book of Revelation 7 speaks of those who have been redeemed and they have the mark of God upon their forehead. By implication, they become the properties of who? Of God. So, judgment upon the face of the earth in this content will not affect them, will not touch them. And I believe that as well. That even now, if you have the mark of, the, of God upon your forehead, which is in your life, there are certain plagues that will not come nigh that dwelling. That's what we read in the book of Psalm 91. So the thing that enables you to get tough fulfillment of Psalm 91 is the mark of the Father on your forehead. Being sealed. Anything that is sealed speaks of a property. And so there are some documents that are very vital that you have to put the seal of the owner or the authority on the document. If you look at the document and you see the seal, you can identify. For instance, like in the church, you have a seal of the, of the ministry and you put it on the certificate, you know it's from us. That's to say, if it is a letter recommending you, we own that. Whoever is looking at that letter can identify who owns that document. Is that okay? Right. So that's a seal. So when something is sealed, the mark of the owner is, is, is impressed in your life on your forehead. So when you say seal them upon their forehead, that means I own them. They belong to me. Put my mark upon them. Don't touch them. Don't destroy them. No matter what happens, let the art and those the sea. You know what the art and the sea? The Adamic life and the material people who have not received if you're destroying them, by but those who have the mark, and he says, start from my house, my sanctuary, start from the church. Same thing that I was trying to explain in one of my articles on the end of the world, Second Peter chapter 3. You know what I said? When it talks about judgment will begin from the house of God. What is it supposed to mean? Judgment is starting from Jerusalem, from those who don't believe what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Hallelujah. So it's not necessarily saying judgment is going to come to the church. You can apply that if that's what you want, but you must understand 2 Peter chapter 3 is a fulfilled scripture. Peter was really responding to those who were not similarly believing or they were tired of the promises that Jesus made that were not coming to fulfillment. So they became scoffers. And God was not saying, Jesus, I mean, Paul was not saying, oh, sorry, Peter, that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand like a day in the hands of the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. So here we find that this scripture is talking about a matter of ownership or possession. Uh, uh. Alright, so. When we read that before, the voice of them, uh, if you look at that, um, I mean, it's Revelation 7, we may not have time to read again. You are going to see that uh, the Bible says, Okay, let's look at, go back and, and let me show you. Revelation 7, look at verse number 4 to verse 8. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And they were sealed and hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribe of the children of Israel. What is supposed to mean? <laughs> One forty-four thousand standing with, with, with the Lamb in my Zion. And people will tell you, well, this literal Israel... Okay, read down again a little bit. 
Out of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000 and tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of God were sealed 12,000. Are you seeing that? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We're going to verse number 8. So, verse 6 now. Of the tribe of Asa were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Naphtali were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Verse number 7. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Verse number 8 says, Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed how many? 12,000. Amen. Now, the Bible said these are all marked with the seal of God in their forehead as a sign of ownership to God. Like I'll mark the doors of the children of Israel, like I said before, in Egypt. Amen? Praise the Lord. But there's something you need to check here. This is not necessarily spiritual Israel. You know why? Because Levi was not actually seen as a tribe. That was a priesthood family. Why did twelve tribes ordinarily were to have possession in the promised land? Levi had no possession. So he was not really seen as a tribe. Hallelujah. Are we here? Praise the living God. <clears throat> okay. So, this speaks of ownership. Now, before proceeding, let me start here or state here that the number is very significant in Bible interpretation, especially to the book of Revelation. It's very important. I want you to understand this. The idea is very foreign to most modern Bible teachers. Yeah, it is a mark, major key in understanding the Bible. Hallelujah. Look at Revelation 4 again. Or if you look at Revelation 4 and uh, 7 and 12. Or if you look at just those numbers. Number 4, number 7, number 12. You'll be able to see that number 4, like I said before, is a number of the world or the universe. I taught us here before. In relation to numbers, remember that. So you have four seasons on the earth, autumn, winter, summer, and springs, whatever. You have the north, south, east, west. And so you find the four living creatures in the book of Revelation representing all creatures. Amen. And then number seven, I told us before, donate perfection. Completeness, in quote. And I told us that the number stands for God. Because God rested on the seventh day. And I also told us here that number eight represents the number of Jesus. God rested on the seventh day. The new creation began on the eighth day. So number eight is the number of Jesus. And so if you're playing your keyboard, 
When you go to the octave number, it starts a new pitch. But the lucky is not here, he will tell us better about that. Hallelujah. So number eight speaks of number of Jesus, nine speaks of the Holy Ghost, and number twelve stands for what? The church of God, the kingdom of God, or the government of God. So twelve stands for the fullness of God's kingdom. Hallelujah. That's why you have twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve apostles in the New Testament. Twelve stones at the bottom of the river Jordan. Twelve matter of trees or fruit in the tree of life in the book of Revelation. Praise the Lord. So, twelve, which is pointed of God's government, speaks of the redeemed, of both the Old and the New Testament saints put together. The fullness of God's kingdom is number twelve. And that is basically the number multiplied by thousands. So when you say 12 times thousand, you're going to have 12,000. Amen? Praise the Lord. Which suggests a definite but very large number of figures. Praise the living God. Okay. So, just get that right. It's so simple. So, um, in line with this application of 10,000, the 144,000 start for the entire church, like I keep repeating. Throughout history, it's a kind of first fruit unto God from amongst men. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay. And that we see us there as well in the book of Revelation. Uh, go back to Revelation 14, look at verse 9. And then... Uh, It says, and they told Jesus and followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast, Amen, and his image, and receive what? His mark is where? In his forehead or where? In his hand. Now, remember, in Revelation 7, we have those who receive the mark of the Father, where? In their forehead or sealed. But here we are seeing a people who have the mark of the beast in their forehead or in their right hand. What is that supposed to mean? This simply speaks about those who do ministry without the spirit of Christ. Or anything you're doing and Christ is not involved. With whatever power you are doing that. Praise the living God. Are you there? Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Okay. So, that is just what it stands for. To have the mark of the beast on your forehead and the right hand, which speaks up. Remember, I told you, the right hand speaks of the place of power. That's why I said, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall do what? Recover. And then we find that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God with a place of power, the place of dominion. So right hand speaks of authority and power. So what it means here is if you're doing miracles, signs and wonders without the spirit of Christ, it simply means you're using the wrong power in doing what you're doing. That's, that's what it means to have the, 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 the mark on your right hand. Not just 
I mean, your left or whatever, but your right hand, the place of power. And though your forehead speaks about the place of your wisdom. So here we are talking about those who operate with the wisdom or earthly wisdom or sensual wisdom. Not the wisdom of God. Not the mind of God. And you can do ministry with all of these things. That's why Jesus will say, Go away from me, ye that walk what? Iniquity. And I have only said that to you. The word iniquity means lawlessness. That is to say you are not under law. The Greek word is anomia. You are not under law to me. You've done whatever you've done outside of my instruction, outside of my spirit. So to walk in lawlessness is to be able to receive the mark of the beast on your forehead and in your right hand. It's not talking about literal animal or beast or, you know, all of those stories they give to you when Antichrist is going to rise one day and going to mark people's forehead and all of that. It's all religion. That's not gospel of Jesus. Hallelujah. Have nothing to do with God. There is no one man that wants to mark anybody on the forehead. But let me give you a simple illustration. Just about a month past now. How I many of you remember when it happened to CBN? Nobody could buy or sell. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. You can buy, you can sell. There was no money. In fact, they got to some place they were now doing exchange, trade by butter, exchanging rice for. For planting, it happened in Calabar. Are you with me? I mean, that's mark of the beast. The beast system was operating. You go to POS, you are charged 1,000 for 10,000. Some were even charging 2,000. And it's like all of them, entire union. <laughs> so you can buy or sell. I mean, it's not far. Some people just think it's something up in the sky that's going to happen some days no every day you experience this go to the market to buy your gary now how much is the basket of gary it's like all gary sellers have come to agreement hallelujah and it's a man they said the basket of gary that's the mark of the beast go and do your haircut all the babas tell you exactly how much you're charging so anywhere you go hallelujah are you still following this it's not something, you see, every day we experience the mark of the beast. What that means is the natural man continues to impose his rule in the system that is running because the system we are running is a Babylon, system of confusion. And it's governed by the natural man. Hallelujah. Are you still there? All right. So you see, as I went, that was going on. If you don't have the new narrow note, you can buy anything. You go to. Uh, your ATM, you can dispense nothing. You see the long queue. No buying, no selling. Why? CBN said this, what must happen? Oh, my God, the beast. It's not something that will happen some days to come. In your own lifetime, you experience this mark almost every day. Because the system is not be controlled by, the spirit of God is controlled by the mark of the beast itself, which is man. Not in the image of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Whew. Now, like I was trying to say in the book of Revelation chapter 7, if you look at it very closely, the tribe of Dan is missing. Revelation 7. Of the tribe that were sealed, 
the tribe of Dan is missing. And that tells you it's not literal Israel that I was talking about. It's all describing the saints of God. Not literal Israel. Because if it is literal Israel, then you will find the tribe of Dan. But go read it again. You can see the tribe of Dan. So you can say, you know, I had a very good friend. Very good friend in those days. I will use the window a few years back. Uh, we met in South Africa. Good apostle, we're together. And he was trying to teach that Revelation 7, speak of literal Israel, could translate to Revelation 14. Then I said, no, it can be. This is figurative language that speaks of the fullness of God's kingdom. But he won't take that because he feels he's got a lot of people who have come to believe in what he's teaching and what I'm bringing forth is contrary to what he's been teaching his people all over the world, if you will. Because by the time we met in South Africa, he brought me into the, uh, the group, the Facebook group, Kingdom something, whatever I can remember from Facebook. And then people keep on writing that. So he threw in that. Then I said, oh no, this couldn't be because number one, the tribe of Dan is missing in Revelation 7. So it cannot be literal Israel. So to take Dan, I mean Revelation 7, and marry it with Revelation 14 to speak of only 144,000 shall be sealed as literal Israel. And Jesus will come and reign with them. That's a big error. It can't work that way. And he felt offended. And what's the next thing that happened? He blocked me from being a friend of his. And even shut down his phone number as well. No, it's wonderful. But you are not just going to tell me stuff that I know the Bible is not saying. Like I asked you the question, you show me the tribe of Dan. If this is literal Israel, tribe of Dan is missing. Go read it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We are even told that a tribe of Levi is still 12,000. Now, Levi was not actually a tribe in Israel, like I said. Hallelujah. A good comparison of uh, the tribe of Israel that was numbered. You can look at the book of Numbers. No time to read it. You can write it down. The book of Numbers, chapter 1, 1 to 16. You're going to see all the tribe, the census, the census of the children of Israel. You find that Levi was not even counted among them. Book of Numbers, chapter 1, 1 to 16. When God told children of Israel to pick men that were going to war, you know, to stand before him, verse number five, you find the following tribe, natural Israel, were mentioned. The first tribe was Reuben, Simeon, Judah. Is that okay? Issachar, Zebulun, Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, Dan, Asher, Gad, and Naphtali. Whereas in the book of Revelation, chapter seven, we have is a Judah, Reuben. Now, Reuben was the firstborn and not Judah. Did you get that? If it is natural Israel, it wouldn't start with Judah, it should start with Reuben. Come on here, are you following what I'm saying? But the book of Revelation chapter 7 started with what? Judah. But that's not the order. The firstborn of Israel was who? Reuben. And that's why you find in the book of Numbers, chapter 1. Hallelujah. Are we still here? 
Praise the living God. And then you have Joseph. And then you have Benjamin. So we noted that Joseph was not also a tribe. The record in number says of the children of Joseph. Which has to do with Ephraim and Manasseh. You do get that? Praise the Lord. So, meaning these two tribes came out of Joseph's children. So, you can see clearly what I'm trying to say. That this 144,000 is dealing with spiritual Israel and not literal Israel. Is that okay? Good. I want to remind you, Revelation 7 starts with Judah. That is error if it is literal. Revelation 7, tribe of Dan is missing. That is error if it is literal. What happened in first number? I mean, number chapter 1, reading from 1 to 16. The tribe starts with who? Reuben. Did you get that? Are you following me? Right. So, put these facts together. That tells you that Revelation 7, Revelation 14 have nothing to do with what? Literal Israel. So, when men are saying that Revelation 14 speaks of literal Israel, few people that God is going to pick to reign with him when he comes a second time, that's religious error. Not Bible. They will wait for eternity. It will not come to happen. Are you still there? Praise the Lord. Though this is the whole thing that I want you to, to see. And um, they also teach you the 144,000 that people that are going to escape or people that are going to be numbered to escape judgment that are coming to Israel. But guess what? So we will tell you it happened before the judgment that came to Israel in AD 70. But it's all error. That's not true. When you use preterist ideology to constantly interpret scriptures, you miss the fact that especially the book of Revelation is a spiritual book. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. So, what is your take home for tonight? 144,000 is standing for the chariots of the Lord are thousands and thousands of angels and the Lord is with them as well. Iman Sina. And I said the word chariot recurb stands for what? Multitude of people, crowd. Are you there? Numerousness, large size of people. What is it supposed to mean? We're talking of the whole saints of God. The good news I have for you is you are among the chariots of God. So keep riding. Amen. Keep riding. Carry God wherever you go. Take him along. Anywhere you are in, God wants to ride through you. You are his chariots. Hallelujah. God is riding on his people, riding on the wing of the chariot. Wherever you find yourself, you are supposed to be a display of the invisible God. That's what he's saying. That's what made the chariots of the Lord are thousands and thousands of angels. And the Lord is in the midst of them as it was with where? In China. I'm only saying that when God came to Mount Sinai, he came with 10,000 of angels. Hallelujah. And from the right hand, went for a fiery law for them, which has to do with what the Lord, the Ten Commandments, and all that that he gave to them on Mount Sinai. These are the saints of God. So thousands and thousands of angels speaks of God's people, speaks of God's chariot. And Jude 14, 
the Lord is coming with 10,000 what? Of his saints. So just like Israel came from the wilderness and encamping on Sinai, even so, the saints of God are coming out from the wall and encamping where? In Mount Zion. Hallelujah. Bless you. I love you. I'll see you next week. Praise God. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.